Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. It is such an honor, a distinct honor to be here with you. And yes, I think there's probably a fine line between using Brother McLaughlin and abusing Brother McLaughlin. No, I'm joking. I'm messing with That's what Brother Brown said. That's what Brother Brown said. Actually, let me tell you something. I, I lived for hell for the devil uh, until I was 20 years of age. When I got into the church, the Lord, I was... I, the men heard my testimony and Brother Brown's church heard my testimony. Uh, I was very strung out on drugs, like very strung out to the point of suicide. And so I made up my mind. You know, I mean, I would stay out to the bar until two o'clock. And then when the bar closed down, it was like, all right, whose apartment are we going to? And uh, the party was just getting started at two o'clock in the morning. And so we'd go to somebody's apartment and we'd stay up till four. And if we were really wired, we just wouldn't even go to sleep. And we just keep hitting it full throttle. And, uh, and that went on for many years in my life until, until it, it almost it was a spirit that was trying to kill me. And so when I got into the church, I said, Lord, if I lived like that for hell, if I lived like that for the devil, there is no way that I'm going to give my best for the devil and then come in here and give second best to the Lord. I counted a privilege to be able to preach. Actually, I preached Bible study at home. I pastored in Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas, and uh, preached Wednesday night. And so then Thursday, Friday, Saturday in the men's conference three times a day. But let me tell you something. I absolutely enjoy what I do. And I am thankful to have the privilege to be able to preach the gospel. And such an honor. What, what a church. Bro, your worship team. Now, we have a mutual friend that attends our church, Brother Brian Horde, who worked for the Home Missions Department, and I think came here, maybe did a video, if I, if I, don't, if I understand all the story correctly, uh, on the church here, and, and that it's a church plant. And I'm looking around going, what? Tremendous worship, tremendous singing, uh, leadership. It's very evident that the hand of God is on you as a pastor. It's very evident that the anointing and the hand of God is on you, Brother Brock. And I, I've prayed for you. I've prayed for this church since I received the invitation to come this afternoon. And, uh, and I do feel like I have a word from the Lord to, to encourage you, to speak to you. And I pray that it would challenge you. I uh, feel very honored to be here. And then when we were just having some fellowship yesterday, understand that his wife is from McAllen and family is from McAllen. Uh, you're from McAllen. Yeah, well, so I lived in McAllen for a little bit and I, I was telling him a funny story. When I lived in McAllen, I was about 15 years old and I had some friends of mine that we were going across the border. Well, if you live in McAllen, you can go about 10 minutes and you go across the border to Reynosa. And, and we had gone across the border and got real hungry over there. And so my friends who were raised in McAllen, now originally from Victoria, Texas, they said, hey, man, let's go, eat some, let's go eat some tacos over here. And so I said, all right. And we walked down the street, turned left, went right. We find this little taco shop. They said, man, you're going to love it. $1.25 for five tacos and a baked potato. Now, you understand that was back in the 80s. <laughs> but still, that was cheap for five tacos and a baked potato. So, so they bring the tacos out, and I'm checking the tacos out. And when I tell you the meat was like thin, paper thin. And I've eaten a lot of fajitas in my life. And when I looked at these, this meat, I'm going, I don't know. I don't know. 
I said, give me some of that salsa. Man, I just drenched it. I drenched it in salsa. I chowed down on those five tacos, ate the baked potato. We walked off, and man, they just started laughing. They just started laughing. I said, what? They said, did you like those tacos? I said, they were good. They said, man, those were dog meat tacos. (laughs) I said, were they chihuahua or were they pit bull? No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I think they were, they never did tell me they were joking. So I I would imagine, hopefully it was carrito and not chihuahua. (laughs) Uh, But I'm telling you, living for God, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And so, Brother Brock, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to be here. Thank you, praise team, for the worship. Um, Let's stand. Let's stand in honor of the word of the Lord. I give honor to my friend, Brother Brown, who invited me to preach in the Oregon District and at his church this morning. Had a wonderful time there. Uh, Really enjoyed connecting with his family and his son. And uh, excited about being here tonight. I want to read from a passage in the Old Testament, the book of Esther. The book of Esther, chapter 4, verse 14. I'm going to read a passage out of the New King James Version. Esther 4, 14. For if you remain completely silent at this time, Relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. There is a divine appointment for you today. And I want to read it one more time. Let's read it together. The last, the last sentence. Yet, who knows whether you have come to Beaverton for such a time as this. There's no greater time for revival than right now. Right now. For God to do something miraculous right now. Today. Not tomorrow. Not Wednesday today you're here today you're here today and God is going to do great things in your life I want to preach Uh, we'll pray together before you're seated but my title today is give your best pass the test and let God do the rest when you give your best and you pass the test Take your hands off of it. And I promise you that God will take it so much further than you ever could have dreamt possible. Let's pray together before you're seated. Jesus, we love you. Will you help me pray? Will you lift your voice and help me pray? God of heaven, I love you and praise you. I thank you, mighty God of heaven, for your great hand. Lord and Savior, I love you. God of glory, thank you, mighty God. Thank you, mighty God. 
I love you, Lord, and I give you praise in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for standing in honor of God's word. You may be seated today. It was 500s to 400s B.C., 500 years, 400 years before Christ. Babylon was defeated by the Persians, and the Jewish exiles were transferred to Persia. It was during that time that there was a death sentence placed upon the Jews. And the Persian king, Ahasuerus, had made a decree that we're going to create a genocidal plan and completely wipe the Jews off the map. God started searching. God started looking for someone to defy the enemy's plan. God started looking for someone that would submit to his will. Someone that would bring victory to the Jewish nation. The predominant people in the story that would bring this great victory to pass is King Ahasuerus. Amazing how God can even use an enemy for his will. Haman, who was very much of an enemy to the Jews. Mordecai and Esther. You see God's hand and God's providence in this story in that he placed a Jewish woman as the queen of Persia. That just does not happen unless God's hand is in the story. When it comes to God accomplishing his will, there is a divine and a human pattern that can be seen. While God is certainly not locked into a human pattern, and God is and never will be locked into a set pattern, there does seem to be a scriptural consistency as how God works with human hands. Personally, I've seen this happen. I've watched this pattern, this sequential pattern happen. These steps in this process happen in my own personal life. In fact, it always happens right before God is going to do something new in my life. I've been pastoring for 20 years, but through the 20 years, there have been many intervals of pastoring and many new things that God has done for our church and then even beyond and outside of the church, things that God has done in my ministry. And I can go back and I can look at this pattern. I can look at this sequence of God and then how he's affected my life. And so I would like to share that with you right now. And typically this is what occurs. There first is a divine initiative. When God initiates something or God dreams, he then provides a human invitation. God is a dreamer. God always dreams. He dreamed before there was a world. He dreamed of having a world. And then he spoke and the world came into being. But then he he had greater dreams and so he would take that dream or that initiative and he would place the dream upon a man. And man would start dreaming and man would start envisioning certain things. Man started dreaming about a church, a Pentecostal church in Beaverton. Let me tell you something, Brother Brock has a dream, Brother Brock has a vision. There was a human invitation that was given to him. But before it was Brother Brock's dream, it was God's 
dream. Can I tell you that as I drove down the streets of Beaverton, all I could think about was God dreaming about revival. God dreaming about a church being planted right here. And God takes that dream and he plants it and he attaches it to a man. God takes that dream and he attaches it to Sunday school teachers. God takes that dream and he attaches it to people in the congregation. And God says, Come on, why don't you start dreaming with me a little bit? Come on, let's take a journey together. Come on, you let hell use you in the world. Why don't you come over to the winning side? Why don't you come over to the team that has victory? Get yourself in the house of God. Get yourself in the church. And God said, let's dream a little bit together. And so God creates this initiative. And then he gives a human invitation. And then we expect for it magically everything that we dream and we envision on the inside. We expect in one week, boom, there it is. It's all happened. And all of a sudden, the third step of the process hits and there's a divine test. God said, I've dreamed about it. I've invited you in. Now I'm going to test you. And then there is the human response. And once the human being responds correctly, there is a divine provision. Anytime God has a vision, he's going to provide. If you have a vision, God will provide for you. With a vision, there's going to be a provision. So when you're going through the testing time, don't think that God has overlooked you. God wants to see you respond correctly in the test. And once you pass the test, God is going to do the rest. Somebody clap your hands and give God praise. God's working a miracle and I feel it in the Holy Ghost. I'm just telling you God's working a miracle right now for this church. There are things that the eye cannot see, the ear cannot hear. It's neither entered into the hearts of the church of Beaverton. What God has prepared for those that love him. It's God's dream before it's your dream. You just have to get on board with him and let yourself dream with him. Somebody answer the call. Somebody say, yes, Lord. Hallelujah. God does not initiate without the ability to provide. Between the initiative and the provision, there's a call. There's a test. And there's a response to the test. If I could summarize this in one word, each one, they would all be with letter A. There's an announcement. There's an acceptance, there's an abandonment, there's an association, and then there is an advocating of the cause. The divine initiative is an announcement. God announces something in your spirit. I'm telling you right now, you can, you can drive through a town, you can drive through a city, you can pray, and nothing comes. But then all of a sudden, when it's God's time, 
When it's God's time, he just announces something into your spirit and all of a sudden your mind opens up and you see things that you've never seen before. And it's God's initiative. And God starts announcing things to you. And then there's a human invitation. Yes, God announces, but you've got to choose to accept the dream. You've got to choose. You've got to internally. God will show you things and you're either going to have a no spirit or you're going to have a yes spirit. You're either going to have a no way or you're going to have an amen spirit. Can I tell you what we need in the church? We need an amen spirit. When your pastor preaches vision, don't say no pastor. Have an amen spirit. When Brother Brock gets up here and preaches God's dream, get behind that preacher. Get behind the vision and say amen. Amen. Let God announce it. But then you've got to accept it. You've got to nod inside of your heart and say, Yes, Lord, I'll be the one. Yes, Lord. Let me tell you something about God. God's not going to write it out in the future. He's not going to show you point one ABC, point two ABC, point three ABC for the next ten years of your life. He's going to give you a blank page. He's going to give you a blank page and he's going to say, will you still do my will? Will you still answer the call? Will you still say yes? God announces it in your spirit and you can say, okay, God, how? How? Where's the money coming from? Where are the people coming from? Where's the talent coming from? Where's the church coming from? Where's all this coming from? And God said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. If I call you, I want you to say, yes, Lord, I'm going to test you. But the whole time, God's got the provision vision over here. You just have to make up your mind to pass the test. Don't quit too soon. So then the testing and it's God's calling out. He calls you out. He separates you from others. Why me, God? You could have called anybody. Why did you do this to me? Why did you put your hand on me? And he's asking for abandonment. He's asking you for to, to drop the nets and get out of the boat. He's asking you to leave the nest of familiarity. That's the problem with land dwellers. They're afraid of the deep. They're afraid of the water. Land dwellers will sit here and nod their head, yes, but they hold on to the nets because nets are familiar. Nets are what you know to work with. Some people are afraid to let go and be empty-handed for a little bit and say, my competency level can't even handle the emptiness. I don't know what to do. And you stay on land because land provides predictability. Land pro provides a methodical step after step after step. And at least you know you're on safe ground when you're on land. Man, and God saying no if I've called you I want you jumping I want you to get out of the boat I want you to drop the net I want you to jump into the deep I want you to trust me and when you get in the deep God will provide everything that you need but you got to get off the land you got to make up your mind I'm in this forever I'm not backing up I'm not quitting I'm dropping the net I'm getting out of my comfort zone I'm getting out of the boat and I'm getting into unfamiliar territory but I know that God called me I know that I'm going through some testing but I know that on the other side of the test there are five loaves and two fish waiting on me on the other side I know there's manna in the morning and quail in the evening I 
I know that on the backside of the desert uh, there's going to be a burning bush that God will speak out to me in the middle of that burning bush and say to me, the bush is being burned but it's not consumed. Did you get that? Did you get that? Did you get that? Churches have a backside of the desert experience and you as a church will go through those times where you feel like things are burning away. You need to understand something. He said Moses stared deeply into that bush. It's on fire. Fire, the nature of fire is supposed to consume, disintegrate, and things disappear. God said... It's not the natural, it's the supernatural that's going to get you through, Moses. Uh, that bush is on fire, but look, the leaves aren't changing. The leaves aren't turning brown. The fire has no power over the bush. And what he's saying to you, church, is you may feel like you're going through a fiery trial, but the fire's not going to take you down. It's not going to change the nature of the church. Because the church has a divine initiative to have revival in Beaverton. Somebody clap your hands and give him praise. Oh, I'm telling you it's a revival your eye can't even see. Your mind doesn't even comprehend it. But God has called you to this place for this time. And who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this if now's not the time when is the time this thing's wrapping up ladies and gentlemen right now is the time right now is the time it's time to give your best pass the test and just let God do the rest quit worrying about it quit waking up three and four times in the middle of the night quit waking up in cold sweats quit letting anxiety keep you up at night Rebuke those panic attacks. Rebuke that spirit of fear. Rebuke that, that spirit that's telling you, oh, yeah, that's never going to happen. That's never going to happen. You just have to make up your mind. God put me here. God planted me here. And if God, if it's God's initiative, I don't have to worry about the provision. He's, all I've got to do is pass the test. All I've got to do is pour myself into this and give my very best. I've got to pass the test. And God is going to provide. He's going to take care of everything that I need. Yes. God always takes initiative in executing his plan. Then he looks for a person who will listen to him, submit to him, and be willing to give all for him. And then he tests the person to see if the person, he or she, can be discomforted out of the vision. How willing are you to stick with it when it's not comfortable? How willing are you to stick with it when it's not fun? How willing are you... To stick with it when nothing's being noticed. When the rewards that you expected to happen aren't coming. And it's not happening as fast as you want it to happen. And it's not even happening the way that you thought it would happen. He awaits your response. He watches and he waits. And your response creates an environment. If you don't like your environment, you need to do a personal check and find out, did you create the very environment that you're now complaining about? You with me? Your response to the test creates the environment. 
Zacharias resisted the vision of Elizabeth bringing forth John the Baptist. Why? He was an 80-year-old man. He resisted the fact that his wife could give birth to John the Baptist. Zacharias lived in an environment of prophetic silence. You remember the story when he resisted the vision of the angel Gabriel. Gabriel came to him and he said, it's going to come to pass. Your prayers have been heard. Your prayers have been heard. When in the world did he pray those prayers? He was an 80-year-old priest. If we think in terms of physiology or or biology, it had to at least been 40 years back. When did he pray those prayers? But whenever he prayed them, let's conservatively say 40 years back, the angel comes to him and says, your prayers have been heard. I don't know if you got what I just said, but there are prayers that you forgot about you prayed, but heaven hasn't forgotten those prayers. There are prayers you've already given up on, and the angel walks into your life and says, I know you've given up on that prayer, but I have come to tell you your prayers are remembered, and Elizabeth is going to have a baby. Somebody give God praise in this house. I'm just telling you right now, my God can reach back to your past, pull that prayer, pull that prayer out, and bring it into your future and say, I have not forgotten everything that you prayed about. Zacharias is failing the test. Zacharias is failing the test. God's already sent the angel to say, the provision's there. John's coming, John's coming forth out of the womb. Here's the problem. You see, God has a will. And God's will will not be stopped or circumvented. You can jump out of the will. Zacharias can resist the vision and be put in prophetic silence. This is a problem. Because once a preacher or once a congregation resists the vision that God is trying to fulfill within the church, He can send all of us into the corner of prophetic silence. And all of a sudden you get up and preach and nothing happens. All of a sudden you get up behind the keyboard and play and nothing happens. All of a sudden you get on the drums and nothing happens. All of a sudden, the song leader gets up and starts leading and praying, and nothing happens. And you feel like everything is going here, and it's falling off. You know why? We resist the vision. Do you understand? Zechariah resisted the vision. He didn't resist the vision. He did not go into prophetic silence because the vis- his vision was too big. He went in because his vision was too small. Could we be getting in trouble with God because our vision is much smaller than His vision? And God said, I'm going to have to put you in a prophetic silence. And nothing... God shut His mouth. He couldn't speak for nine months. The miracles happening in the womb of a mother and He can't even speak because He resisted the vision. Can it be possible that we have mechanical, cyclical church because we resist the vision and we go into a prophetic silence and we preach but nothing happens and we preach but nothing happens and we preach but nothing happens and we sing but nothing happens and God's saying, I'm not going to let anything happen until you embrace a bigger vision. I'm not going to let anything happen. You're going to go through the motions of church but nothing supernatural is going to break forth out of the womb of Elizabeth until you embrace, I can do this. So John's about to come forth out of the womb and they say, well, what are you going to name him? Some of, some of the relatives said, oh, name him Zacharias. 
And she says, no. Friends, so when naming, they were, everybody, was trying to, everybody was trying to name the revival for them. Everybody was trying to name what was going to happen in their life. And God had already labeled it. His name is John. And so, and so who did they go to? They get a tablet and they get a writing instrument. And they walk into the closet of prophetic silence and say, all right, after nine months of silence and you seeing nothing happen, it's time to come forth and give it your best. And he takes that writing and he starts to align himself. Let me tell you something. God's vision was here. His vision was over here. There's a gap here. You have to operate in frustration when you're not in alignment with God's vision. All of a sudden, he says, "Uh, put a pen in my hand. Put a pen in my hand. And he takes it and he writes. And hell's going, oh no. Don't let him write the word John. Don't let him name him John. Because once he does, he has embraced and aligned himself with God's vision. And he's the forerunner of Jesus Christ. You understand that when you align yourself with God's vision, Jesus Christ is coming forth in the center of everything you've preached. In the center of everything that you prayed. I'm talking about right in the middle of Oregon City. God comes out. Forgotten prayers. Heals back prayers. And all of a sudden you embrace the vision. And he writes an O. And he writes an H. And he writes an N. And for the first time in nine months, he says, John! His name is John! God opens up his mouth. And he opens up the womb of a mother. And a miracle starts happening. Can I tell you, when you get behind the vision of God, God works a miracle in the church. God saves your children. He saves your family. But you've got to line up. You've got to line up. You cannot resist what God wants you to embrace. Yeah. You give your best. You pass the test. Once made aware of the need, how to accomplish God's plan, an unrelenting burden, an unrelenting burden. People ask you, why do you go to that church? God gave me a vision. When I first got in the church, I was 20 years old. Why are you, why are you going to the Pentecostal church? You don't understand what happened to me in that church. God radically changed my life and nothing, nothing, no one, nothing, no devil in hell will ever take me off center because I know that I was lost and I was blind. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I can see. And you you go anywhere else, there's nowhere else for me to go. This is it. It's the power of the Holy Ghost. The vision becomes a moral imperative and demands action. A genocidal plan by Haman to wipe out the Jews from off the proverbial map caused a woman named Esther to find herself in such a place. It was here that God's providence and Esther's preparation meet. So we come into Mordecai's infamous statement when Mordecai says, Who knows whether you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this? The word... Providence comes from two root words, pro meaning before and video meaning to see. God sees beforehand and orchestrates events to accomplish his purposes. It's God's providence, pro video. God sees before you ever get into the situation and he has already worked it out and has the provision before you ever go through the test. It's God's providential hand. 
First, God took Queen Vashti off the throne. Then he gave the throne to Esther. He put the right people in the right places and said, whatever you do, give me your best. In the face of a letter from the king who has decreed you're going to die, give me your best. When you have to deal with Haman's arrogance and pride and egotism and attitude, give me your best. When you have to deal with the gallows looking in your future that you will ultimately dangle on and hang on, you've got to give me your best. When you give your best, that means you don't bow to people like Haman. You never bow down to something that's outside of God's will. Let's talk about giving your best. Esther is a Jew in a foreign land and a woman in a male-dominated world. She is a minority within the minority. But God raised her up at the right time. God never opens a door. He never calls you. He never gives you authority to become lazy, to become settled in to the comfort of the king's house and compromise the vision of seeing the Jews escape genocide. Church, can I preach to you right now to help your pastor? Let me tell you something. There's a vision here trying to plan a church and and doing a wonderful job planning a church. But what cannot happen is that interior issues happen that cause a compromise of the original vision that God puts into the spirit of a pastor and a pastor's wife. You have to make up your mind to not let little fires pop up in the church so that all of a sudden the pastor has to become fireman. He's not supposed to be a fireman putting fires out in the church. He's supposed to be the visionary saying, hey, let's start Bible studies. Let's start life groups out there. Let's see revival happen. Let's bring people into the house of God. You got to get behind the vision of your pastor. Some of you on the pew, you need to get your own vision. You need to awaken this afternoon and say, Pastor, God has given me a vision, and I can't shrink back. I I can't go back to anything less than what God has shown me. I'm here to help you have revival. Sometimes you get in the king's house. Sometimes you get in the king's house. Let me tell you something. Y'all, y'all know who Brother Kilgore Some of y'all remember who Brother Kilgore is. Brother Kilgore used to say, if you can preach a sermon and hold the attention of a 12-year-old and an 80-year-old at the same time, you're doing pretty good. My little man right here is l- locked in on me. That was, I, I'm sorry, that was just a little timeout commercial. Okay, I'm coming back. That, he, he, he just stole my heart. That was awesome. That was awesome. I was preaching away and he just staring at me like, has this preacher lost his mind? He's screaming up there. <laughs> that was awesome. Listen to me. Listen to me. Okay, here's the vision. God shows you the vision. You've got to follow me here. The vision is like a frame. God puts you in there, and it's so big, you're going, how in the world can I even accomplish this vision? Then God tests you and grows you into that vision. Then as sequentially as you start fulfilling that vision, the vision and the frame starts getting larger. God, this is what you need to know. There is no elastic in God's vision. Once he enlarges the vision, it never shrinks back down. Do you understand me? 
When God enlargens that vision, it becomes bigger than life. The problem is, is if you don't move out to fulfill that vision, you will bring worldly things, you'll start compromising, you'll get distracted, you'll bring things into your life to try to fill in that gap around that vision, the space between what you've done now and where you're going. Listen to me, please, whatever you do, don't be afraid if you're not competent enough to fulfill. The vision will be much bigger than your wallet. The vision will be much bigger than your ability to do it. But if God put it in your spirit, He is going to provide. He's going to come through for you. You just have to say, God, I'm laying it all on the line. I'm giving my best. Bring whatever test you want to bring to me. I've already died out to it all. I'm going to pass the test. And you watch God do the rest. He is literally, you know, we, we, were, we were singing that song today. And, and, and the scripture was used about expecting God to do something. Did it ever dawn on you that God wants to take you beyond your expectation? He expected to receive silver and gold. But God said, I'm about to blow your wildest imagination. You wanted silver and gold. I'm about to let you walk out of this place. Could it be that God brought you to this church service today and you just thought you were going to take up about an hour and a half to two hours on a Sunday and do your religious duty? And God said, wait a minute. I've watched you miserable out there. I've watched you in that pain. I've watched you in that depression. And I want to do something far beyond what you even expected to happen in this place today just give him your best here today let him take you beyond your wildest dreams let him take you beyond your wildest imaginations God is able to do this if you will put it in his hands yes he will then Esther spoke to Hathak and gave him a command to Mordecai all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or any woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called. He has but one law. Put all of them to death. Except the one whom the king holds out the golden scepter. This is Esther 4, 10 through 16. That he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. So they told Mordecai, her relative, Esther's words. Mordecai said, you send a message back to Esther. Send a message back to Esther. Do not think in your heart that you will escape the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. So what, now that you're in the king's house, you think you're going to kick back and not fulfill your original mission? You mean you got that position, you got that title, you got that location, and now you're not going to help all the Jews live? Don't think for one moment that you found some favoritism and you're going to make it. All, they've, they've planned to execute all the Jews. We're all going down. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from some other place. You see what he's doing? He's preaching vision. He can't see it happening. There's a letter that says you're going to be killed. Every one of you are going to be executed. But Mordecai is constantly functioning off of a vision in spite of what the king says. Do you understand the devil will say certain things about your church? Do you understand that hell will say certain things? You know what I'm talking about, pastor. You can be in your study getting ready for a sermon, preaching a visionary message, and the devil walk into that office and say, don't 
Don't you go preach that right now. Don't you dare get behind that pulpit and tell those people that. That will never happen in this city. That will never happen in this community. I mean, the devil will try to talk you out and preach some candy sermon. And you get up and you preach the vision anyway. That's what you and I have to do. We've got to be like Mordecai. In spite of the king of this world or the prince of the power of the earth and the air, I know the devil does not want revival happening. But that's what a preacher does. He preaches from the pulpit. He pulls people out of the pit. He's got to pull and say, no, God is king in this city and God will bring revival to us. Church, will you believe it with your pastor? Will you get behind the pulpit? Get behind the vision of the church and say, yes, we will give God our best and God is going to save us. Who knows whether you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. It's not a coincidence that you're even here today. It's not an accident. God used a human being to invite you to come. But God has an initiative for your life. God has a plan for you to be part of this church and help fuel a vision and do a work in this city. That's who God is and what he wants out of your life. But I'm asking you, I am challenging you. Will you give him your best? Everything. Everything. Then Esther told the people, reply to Mordecai. Go gather all the Jews that are present in Shushan. Fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go into the king, which is against the law. And she said, if I perish, I perish. It's, it's when you reach into the pocket and you just, you just throw everything down. It's like here. I, if I perish, I perish. But I'm here to have revival. I planted myself here to have revival. You know what I'm talking about right now? I'm talking about you being in your family, the only one living for God. You just have to make up your mind. If my mom doesn't do it, if my dad doesn't do it, if my children don't live for God, I'm going to anchor myself in the house of God. If I perish, I perish. But when you lay it all on the line, God is going to come through for you. That mama of yours will come to the house of God. That dad of yours, I'm telling you, you just stay in the church. You give it your best. You let God handle the rest. It's his time. You just let him take care of it. He'll take care of it. He'll take care of it. If I perish, I perish. All of us need a Mordecai in our life. All of us need somebody to speak into our life and say, you know, you've got more inside you. You've got some more down in there. I know you feel like you've given your all, but there's some more down in there. Give it your best. Give it your best. And then you got to pass the test. See, when we give our best, we don't think a test is coming. We think because we've given our best, we're exempt from the test. Well, God, how can you test me? I've already laid it all out on the line. I told you I've died out to this cause. And God said, let me handle this. I've got the provision over here for you. I just need you to come through this test. You hear me? You listen to me. None of us, Brother Brock, like Cherith. None of us like Zarephath. All of us like Mount Carmel. 
But Elijah had to go through the test before he could arrive at God's divine provision. Do you know what Cherith means? Cherith means a cutting place. God said, before I can ever take you to Carmel, Carmel means the, the, the place of harvest. It means corn, ears of corn, or it meant a place of harvest. It's where God was going to provide. But God said, before I can even open that door up, I need to cut some things out of your life. And so he takes him to Cherith, and he's there, and he's being fed by a trickling brook. It's a cutting place. All of a sudden, Elijah wakes up, and he goes back to the brook, and guess what? The brook's dried up. He doesn't even have a... Anybody ever been there before? Everybody ever wake the next day, and the brook dried up? And you're going, oh, God. Where's my next meal coming from? Oh, God, how am I going to pay the bills? There's more bills than there are paycheck. What in the world am I going to do? And God dries up Cherith. You know why he does that? Because he creates discomfort in your life to see if you'll stick it out. And he says, look, I need you to get to Zarephath. I've cut some things out of you. We don't like that cutting place in God. We all want to live on top of Mount Carmel. We all want the blessings flowing in our life. But let me tell you something. If we skip Cherith, and we skip Zarephath, and we just live on Mount Carmel, guess who starts taking the credit for Mount Carmel? Look what I've done. Look what I've built. But when you go through the cutting place, and you go through the smelting shop, Zarephath, you get here and you say, there's no way I can take credit for this. God, you brought me through. I passed the test. I came through the cutting place. I came through the smelting shop. It was a blacksmith shop. He melted Elijah down. He said, I want to put fire in your life and melt you down so that you're not the same person when you get to Carmel. He cuts things out of him. Things were living inside of him and he says, all right, get over here. How am I going to live, Lord? Well, I've got these ravens that are going to come your way. Oh, you know what we all think? Man, what a miracle that would be. I'd love to be kicking, kicking back on the side of, of, of Zarephath or the side of Cherith in the brook. And Hey, come on, ravens. Bring me some filet mignon. Sorry. They were ravens. It was roadkill. It was chihuahua. <laughs> oh, my Lord. A raven is a filthy, dirty bird. A raven is a filthy, dirty bird. The only thing ravens pick up is garbage. And he had to learn how to live in this cutting place off of things that were less than what he wanted. God wanted to see you content right there, son. Because if you can be content there, if you can just love me right there, if you cannot get bitter right there, if you cannot let resentment get into your spirit right there, and you just keep on taking steps, and you get into Zarephath, and now it's a smelting shop. I'm going to send a fire into your life. I need you to pass this test. Just keep giving me your best. Pass this test, and I'm going to do the rest. I'm going to get you to Carmel. You know, you, we all remember the story of, of the prophets of Baal being killed and fire falling from heaven. We never hear about the Cherith and the Zarephath that get you to that place. We all want heaven's fire falling from heaven and we won't be on top of the mountain. God says, I'm going to melt some things out of your life. But do you understand that God will cut here, He'll melt here so that you can fit here. 
If he doesn't cut and he doesn't burn and melt here, there's no way that the chemistry and the dynamics will work over here. He's got to cut things out. He's got to reshape things so that you fit perfectly right here. And then God says, now stand back. You're not even going to have to do one thing. I'm just going to tell you, there's a rhythm of a church. God have mercy. I'm telling you, bro, there's a rhythm that a church gets into. There is a rhythm of revival that happens in a church. That when you go through these trials and you get to Carmel, you're so used to just pushing so hard, pushing so hard, pushing so hard, pushing so hard. You know, it's kind of like that preacher that, that he's, he's, he pulls, he's got his sunglasses on and he pulls over and he parks on the side of the road and he just sits there at about 5.30 or 6 o'clock in the morning and he's watching this train go by. He's got his sunglasses on. Somebody in the church spotted him doing this every morning and said, hey, that preacher's up to something. I don't know. Something's going on in that man's life. Something's wrong. And so they said, well, let's question him. And so they said to the preacher, said, what in the world? We see you every single morning. Come over here. Park your car. Put your sunglasses on. And you're watching this train go by. What's going on in your life? He said, it's real simple. I just really enjoy watching something move without me having to push it along. Can I tell you something? God is the engineer on the train. He's the driver on the train. And when he's cut things out of you and he's burned things out of you, you'll arrive at a place where there's a rhythm of a church. When things start happening, people start getting the Holy Ghost and you can't take the credit. It's just God pushing the train down the track. Give your best. Pass the test. And let God do the rest. Somebody give him praise. Somebody give him praise here. Yeah, when you're giving your best through the will of God, there are times that life doesn't make sense. It's test time. It's test time. Pressure reveals content. You never know what you're truly made of until something squeezes you. It's like a sponge. If I had a sponge up here, put some water in it, and I took that sponge in my hand and I squeezed it. You would have no idea water's in it until I squeezed it. But if I squeezed it hard enough, you'd see its content just fall to the ground. And tests from God squeeze you to see what content is inside of you. What God wants is when He squeezes on you, He wants faith to ooze out. He wants to watch faith come out of you. He wants to watch you trust Him and know that God is going to take care of everything that you're going through. So I want to ask you a question this afternoon. When God squeezes on you, what comes out? Is it a spirit of fear? Are you afraid? Are you afraid that what He has shown you, He will not bring it to pass? When you get squeezed by life, is fear pouring out? Or is there faith pouring out? I'll tell you, when God squeezed Esther, faith didn't come out immediately. Fear came out. She said, wait a minute, I'm not even called into the king's house. If you're not by law, 30 days, you're going to die. Fear spoke out of her when vision came to her. Typically, that's how we respond to God's vision. It's so big that we get afraid of it. Wait, God, I'm not the one to do this. I don't think I can. You understand the law of displacement? You understand the law of displacement? I had this bottle of water. 
Let's say we just cut it off, and, or, or let's say we opened up the top and it was half full. And let's say the content of this is fear. Full of fear. And you take a marble. Hold that for me, bro. And you take a marble and you displace the current content. You drop one marble in there. What happens to the level of fear? Huh? So you reach into the marble bag and you put another marble in there. What's happening? What's the fear doing? And you reach into the marble bag and you put another marble in there. You are displacing your fear by virtue of of the law that says the new content that you put in here is forcing the old out. Eventually, you're going to have a bottle full of marbles. Can I tell you right now that God is looking for some faith marbles? He's looking for somebody to reach into the faith and say, all right, I feel very afraid right now, but let me go ahead and displace this fear. Sometimes you just have to walk through the church saying, devil, you're not getting my revival. Devil, you're not getting my family. Devil, you're not ripping off our youth group. Devil, you're not going to steal the youth revival coming up uh, this week. Devil, you're not going to take it. You just have to make up your mind to keep dropping marbles in, dropping marbles in, dropping marbles in. Push the fear out today, ladies and gentlemen. Don't let fear tell you what's going to happen in your future. Let faith tell you what's going to happen in your future. God, I've come to the kingdom for such a time as this, and God is going to save people through my calling. So then we go through the test. There's the test of trusting Him when He's silent. Anybody ever dealt with a silent God? Anybody ever prayed and nothing happened? But he had to deal with that. And, we knew, and when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. They followed him, and then he got quiet on them. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea. Then he sent the storm. In so much that the ship was covered with the waves, but he started sleeping. He fell asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are you Fearful. Oh, ye of little faith. You better get some more marbles. I'm going to send you in that storm, and you're not getting out of the storm until you learn to get some more marbles of faith. And you better displace the fear. Then he arose, he rebuked the waves. What did it say? What did the Bible say? What's the first thing he rebuked? The wind and then the waves. Notice cause and effect. You know what we think and we pray? God, we just want him to deal with the effect, the symptoms. God said, I'm not into just dealing with symptoms so that you have cyclical problems. When I speak, I'm going to speak to the wind. Because if I can stop the wind, the wind stopping will take care of the waves. You know what you and I do? We just try to fight this wave, and we fight that wave, and we fight that wave. And the devil's standing in the corner going, boy, look at him. They are so distracted. They're just fighting little issues all the time. When we need to have enough faith that says, all right, God, I know you're silent, but I'm not going to quit worshiping until you wake up in my life. I'm going to keep coming back to that. Listen to me. When God gets silent, don't quit church. Don't stop coming to the house of God. You keep on coming to the house of God. It's a test. He's already got the provision. He's going to speak to the cause of the problem, not just the effects of the problem. And when God takes care of the cause of the issue, he deals with root issues. He takes care of the root. There is no harvest in the future. It doesn't come back in your life. And God just wants to know you'll deal with 
The silence. The second thing, the second test is the test to see if you'll walk in the impossible. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be, if it be thou, bid me to come to thee on the water. Let me walk on this water. That's impossible. And he said, come. And Peter was come down out of the ship and he walked on the water to go to Jesus. God will always put you in the uncomfortable to see if you will walk in the impossible. In Matthew 14, Peter gets out of the boat and walks on the water. Test number one. Matthew 16, he says to him, Simon Barjona, whom do you say that I, the son of man, am? He said, thou art, some say, you know, you're Jeremiah. Some say you're prophet. He said, who do you say that I am? Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. What does he do? Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my heavenly father has revealed this. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. And he gives him some keys. He gives him keys. In Matthew 14, he passes the test. In Matthew 16, he gets the keys. In Acts chapter 2, he uses the keys and he preaches a Pentecostal message. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter 10, he opens up a door to the Gentile world, and for the first time, a Gentile receives the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Why is that? All because he passed the test years before. He had no idea that he was going to get keys and doors to the kingdom. Today, you and I, as Gentiles, are baptized in the name of Jesus, receive the Holy Ghost, all because Peter was willing to be uncomfortable and walk in the impossible. See, what are you trying to tell me, preacher? What is it today that you have seen to be impossible to you that tomorrow God is going to save a world through your ministry? God is going to do miraculous things through the church when you just get out and say, I'm going to walk as long as you let me walk. You pass the test and God takes care of it. Stand with me today. There's a test that I don't know how many of us have truly passed. A test to request something bigger than yourself. When's the last time you prayed a prayer bigger than your resources can handle? Bigger than you feel like you can even handle. When is the last time you truly prayed a prayer much bigger than yourself? Maybe God's testing you to see if you'll pray something bigger than you've ever prayed in all your life. Without an appointment with the king, Esther could have been killed. Do you live in the comfort of the palace? knowing you've disobeyed and others will perish? Or do you get out of the palace and put it all on the line for a greater cause? She asked for something that would affect a nation. She didn't get in a prayer room and just pray, God, will you bless me today? God, if you'll use me, we can change a nation. She asked a request that it was humanly impossible for her to perform 
It was beyond her means to perform it. And yet God honored that little lady's request because he had a dream and he had the ability to provide for the dream. And he just needed somebody to give their best and pass the test. John Newton said, Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such that none can ever ask too much. If we're going to get in this thing together, folks, let's do big things. Come on, don't, 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 don't go into prophetic silence. Let's do big things for God. Let's do big things for God. He'll cut some things out. He'll melt some things down. He'll fit you perfectly to fit the future. So I close with this. When you've given your best, you've passed the test, just let God do the rest. She knows. I'm either going to get that golden scepter extended out to me and find the favor of God, or I'm going to... He's going to cut my throat. I'm, if I perish, I perish. The Bible said that she prepared herself in royal robes. She dressed in such a way that it would attract the king. He wanted to catch the king's eye. I'm just telling you right now, there are certain ways that you can live your life. The way that you pray, the way that you fast, the way that you discipline yourself. That just causes the king to keep looking. He can't get by it. She stands in the place of the king's house. Where where the king was positioned, he could look down the corridor and see her. And the Bible said the king saw her and said, bring Esther in here. You see, there are certain ways you identify. There are certain things you stand for. When men stand for honesty and integrity... When men stand for truth and righteousness, when men stand for Jesus Christ, the king takes note of that man. And he said, that man, I don't want to annihilate him from the kingdom. I want to take my favor and I want to extend the golden scepter. And so he calls those that he's attracted to. And that's what he said, come here, Esther. And she just slowly moves in. Am I going to walk out today? Or is my life going to be taken? And she slowly walks in. And he said, Esther, I've been watching you. He extends the golden scepter. And he said, you have found favor in my eyes. What is your request? I will give you up to half the kingdom. That was a cliche. What he really meant was, anything in the kingdom that you want, it's yours. Why? Because she gave her best. She passed the test. And God said, whatever you want in the kingdom, it's yours. It's yours. I want to open up this altar today. For anybody that's been going through a test in your life. Anybody been tested? Are you willing to give it your best? If so, would you please come today? Come to the front. Just tell him one more time, God, I'm laying it all on the line for you. I'm not holding anything back. It's yours, Lord. I'm withholding nothing. I'm withholding nothing, Lord.
I give you everything right now, Lord. God, for this church in this city, for your vision and your plan, for what you have for them. I pray for Brother Brock right now. I pray your hand upon his hand. I pray, mighty God of heaven, that he would expand the vision. Oh, God of heaven, let him give his best. Pass the test. God, would you do the rest for him? Do it for this church, Lord. 